Sometimes a movie is so important to us that it remains that important even as how we view it vastly changes. A film can reinforce an idea in one viewing and challenge that same idea in another while reinforcing a newly acquired tenet of life. As we journey, some special movies match us step for step. Welcome to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm Adam Glass. Strength and mercy for me and for me Schulte. I was born and raised in a small town in Ohio called Cridersville. Uh, I've been living in Columbus, Ohio for about 10 years now. Uh, strong family background in Catholicism, went to church every Sunday, uh, but that has definitely waxed and waned in terms of my faith. Um, a little bit of background in that regard I discovered punk rock in like seventh grade, um, you know, Dead Kennedys, Subhumans, Crass. Uh, so about by the time I was confirmed in eighth grade, I definitely considered myself an atheist, despite going to church every Sunday and going through the motions of all of that. Um, fast forward two years, I went to a Catholic youth retreat to follow a girl I had a crush on uh, for a weekend. I had an epiphany moment was super hard on God, uh, especially when it comes to transubstantiation. I thought like the Eucharist and transubstantiation was like the most important thing to me in my entire life. Uh, and then fast forward another five years, if I was complicit in something evil, then I am evil. So I can't be Catholic. Therefore, if I can't believe all of it, I can't believe any of it. Atheist for pretty much 10 years uh, and now I consider myself a very small c Christian um, I believe in God I believe in Jesus I don't know that I believe Jesus was divine I don't know that the resurrection matters but I definitely consider myself a Christian if that helps <laughs> Um, that is probably the most complicated uh, religious introduction we've had on an episode so far. Uh, but 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 good. I'm not. I don't mean to. I don't mean that as a critique of it. Certainly, uh, it's your life, <laughs> and it is. Uh, it is interesting path. Everyone's on a different path. Um, what movie did you pick for us? I picked the '73 version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, first saw it as a Christian after the epiphany moment, actually. Okay. Um, so it was very, like, it was pretty affirming and the things I thought were weird about the Bible, but okay. it still kind of made sense. Um, 
so kind of filled in the gaps with scripture for me in a way that something else hadn't done before. So you first saw it around the age, what, 14, 15? Uh, more like 17, 18, actually. Okay, a little, yeah. a little older than that. Um, when you saw it then, for the, when you first saw it, would you consider yourself an atheist at that point? Or no. Or was that later? This was after... After the epiphany. Been, yeah, after yeah, the epiphany moment. moment. I was okay. definitely full-on Catholicism yeah. at that point. Well, interesting in that regard, uh, Pope Pius really loved this movie, apparently. Oh. said it would said it would do more to bring people to Christ than anything that had existed beforehand. When, I uh, think he was on to something with that, honestly. <laughs> but... um, yeah, the director of the film... Uh... Oh, goodness, what's his name? Christ? No, no, he wrote the script. Norman Jewison directed the film. Um, he uh, he showed it to uh, Pius. I'm I'm not Catholic. I have no I have no idea what number Pius was. <laughs> Assuming this is the one before John Paul. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I showed it to him, and and he he apparently very much liked it. Uh, and like I said, quoted as saying it would it would do more for for bringing people to Christ than anything that existed before <laughs> i trust that's a translation issue <laughs> but maybe it's not um this was actually my this is my first time ever watching it i'm familiar with a lot of the music but i've never seen the 73 film version uh i'm surprised at how good a movie it is actually it's uh, cinematography wise it's 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 very well shot it has it has some things that are very 70s art house totally um a lot of freeze frames <laughs> yes but, uh... but I, i've seen the play live and i was just like eh. <laughs> like yeah. the film's better yeah it really is yeah um so uh you wrote a lot of notes while you were watching this, I and I, I really I, I like that you wrote a lot of notes that while you were watching this. Um, it being my first time watching the film, I I wrote quite a bit myself. Uh, this movie reminded me of a lot of things that we've already talked about on other episodes of Cinema Credo. Um, not just. Film-wise, as we started with with Last Temptation of Christ, obviously another adaptation of the Gospels, but uh, um, but ideologically, and uh, there's a lot of things that reminded me of uh, Dostoevsky's The Idiot in a way that uh, that I talked about during the uh, the Death to Smoochie episode with Jonathan. Um, but it's just we'll we can get to all that. What sort of things were you writing down this time? Uh, I guess I haven't looked at it too hard with a critical lens, and I've seen it in so many different phases of my life, and it's meant different things to me during that time period. Like, when I was Catholic, it was kind of a fill in the gaps, like, oh, this makes so much more sense when these characters are fleshed out and not just parodies of themselves in the scripture, um, versus just kind of how good of a story it is in and of itself uh, as an atheist and then coming back to it and being okay with the ambiguity of things yeah um that was christ divine was christ fully human does that matter yeah 
did he know this is what was going to happen? Is this what he wanted to happen? Does that matter? Um, just now I feel like it's a, an exercise in is, does dogma matter? Yeah. And um, I think ultimately it comes in that it's uh, on the side of it does not matter. But uh, yeah. One thing, one thing we've talked about on the podcast in the past, uh, particularly with the, with the very previous episode with our, uh, uh, Corinne was on that episode. Corinne mm-hmm. is a mutual friend of, of Joey and I's. Um, was that one thing I'm interested in doing a podcast like this, you know, there's a lot of people, you ask them what's the most religiously significant film to them, they won't have an answer because films aren't religiously significant to them, which is you know, fine. It means it, it limits who I talk to, right? right. But, uh, but one thing I've been very interested in in finding so far is even the people who don't share my beliefs religiously you know, seem to share values and I'm interested in, in, in that value sharing in, in, you know, there's a way I could, I could dismissively uh, describe it as a, uh, a sort of broad humanism in a lot of ways, but, uh, but it's still, it's uh, it's a commitment to making the world a better place, right. I guess, uh, despite whatever, you might draw that from. Uh, it's interesting me, to me that you've, you know, you fell in love with this movie while you were, you know, seemingly somewhat hardcore Catholic, uh, and you said you you performed this your senior year of high school. Yes, uh, the Gethsemane song, uh, "Take This Cup Away From Me." Song. to say if there is a way take this cup away from me for I don't want to taste its poison feel it burn me I have changed I'm not as sure at the time Gethsemane song, what what did it mean to you then? Can you think uh, back? That's a good question. Um, I guess at the time, it, one, was just a really awesome tenor song. <laughs> Two, Fair. Uh, the, uh, it, it embodied the idea of Christ as a man, mm-hmm. which in Catholicism I don't feel like was taught enough. It's, uh, yes, Christ was born as a man and he was man but he is still very much god yeah Uh, and i feel like in christianity in general that's something that's lost that this man was fully human he had all the doubts he had all of the flaws that humanity entails yeah despite i'm not sure how i feel about divinity in terms of the the son of god (laughs) yeah i'm totally fine with him being the son of god but still being just human right, right. um that's um you know one of the first things i thought about uh comparing this to the first episode where i talked to uh to thomas the 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 monk the christian monk about last temptation of christ one thing one thing with that movie is the very human jesus in that 
um, and the Jesuses here are very different Jesuses very. here, and they're, they're human <laughs> in very different ways. Uh, but <laughs> the Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ Superstar is not nearly as moody as, as Jesus in Last Temptation. So and emo. <laughs> create crosses for the yes, Romans. Yes, and... he does it. There's a, there's a lot going on. Um, but uh, but that film also has a slightly broader time focus as far as the story goes, too, right? Um, whereas this is a, this is a, a week right. <laughs> at best, <laughs> uh, two days by by the amount of times we see people sleep. But yeah, but, uh, but a week as far as the time. But I goes. love how little it spins on the actual like tw- stations right. with the cross right, right, aspect right. of the story. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I loved about the Gethsemane song is that it, it captures something that's, that's biblically true about Jesus in that garden is, uh, the fear, uh, the, the doubt about what's to come. I, you know, you, you read it and it's there, right? It's not something, not something a lot of Christian denominations talk about a right. lot, but it's there, you know? It's like just a sentence. Yeah, describe the Bible describes him as sweating blood. That's not someone who's uh, devoted to the fate coming at him. You know, and this is a song. This is a song that questions that. And of course, you know, the, the "My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me" or "Forgotten Me" in the in the lyrics of the song. Um, you know that that's again that's that's a doubting Jesus, um, and it's a very human thing. Uh, I really liked that. Um, another thing I I really loved was Judas in this film. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, mean, in my opinion, this film should be called <laughs> Judas Christ Superstar. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> the Judas in this movie. So so Judas in Last Temptation is the zealot, and that sort of gets amalgified there. Um, the Judas here is someone who thoroughly believes Jesus's message, but thinks Jesus himself is getting away from his message. Um, in that way, he's kind of like the Paul character in Last Temptation, where, where uh, you know, uh, Paul shows up and, uh, and you know, during the dream sequence that is the third act of Last Temptation, and Paul shows up and, and is, is preaching Christ crucified, and, uh, and Jesus is there and says, no, I'm I'm here. I'm still alive. And Paul says, no, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Last Temptation is a very interesting view of Paul. <laughs> but, uh, but the Judas here, uh, you know, the whole Jesus Christ superstar thing is, is a, uh, you know, it's, it's Jesus as a rock star in so many ways. That's the whole motif of the, of the concept here. Uh, and it's Judas, thinking he's gotten too big and too, too in himself and that the only way to end this is to turn him in. And, uh, and that's very interesting. But his, his song with the priests... The Damned for All Time, that <laughs> Damned one? Damned for All Time, uh, where he repeatedly says, I'm not here of my own accord. And he says at least once, Jesus wouldn't mind if he knew. Came because I had to, I'm the one who saw. Jesus can't control it like he did before. And furthermore, I know that Jesus thinks so too. Jesus wouldn't mind that I was here with you. I have not thought at all about my own reward. I really didn't come here of my own accord. Just a 
think that Judas believes it, but I also think that there's, uh, you know, again, something we talked about with Tom in that Last Temptation episode is, uh, is uh, sort of all things working together. Um, and that, that's a Judas who is fulfilling a role and a Judas who knows he has to fulfill that role, uh, even as the Jesus in this film isn't sure that he has to fulfill right. that role. Um, but yeah, I said that in a lot of ways, this reminded me of Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Have you ever read The Idiot? Are you familiar with Only your commentary Only on the my commentary on the podcast. Well, as I said then, I will, I will frame the narrative of The Idiot in order to support the arguments I'm about to make. Um, in The Idiot, the character is supposed to be someone who is fully human, non-divine, trying to embody in all-encompassing compassion, like what Jesus taught. Uh, and uh, with, that's why they call him the idiot, <laughs> because it, it doesn't work. Uh, and, uh, and in a, a lot of ways, uh, Jesus' relationship with, with Mary Magdalene in this, in this film reminded me of the relationship of the prince in the idiot has with Natasha Filipinova, the the main woman in the narrative, um, and Mary particularly reminds me of uh, reminds me of her in that uh, you know the Mary here is someone who is in love with Jesus but doesn't know what to do with that <laughs> because the Jesus is someone who loves her but loves everybody. <laughs> so what does that mean that he loves her? Uh, I just, I think, I think the characterization of everyone in this movie is just so good. Agreed. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like they feel like real people in a way that the scripture does not tell yeah. me that they're real people. Yeah. Like the whole commentary on Judas being like, but he was a thief and like yeah. Yeah. had all these other ulterior motives. Whereas the film is just like, these are real things that right. he had to deal with and right. had to. Pros and cons and shit. It's Judas <laughs> reacting to things. And, and, you know, in a way, he's being dogmatic about Jesus' teachings, too, to, to criticize the relationship with Mary in that first song. That is definitely his biggest flaw in the film, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Um, to say, you know, your relationship with her undermines what you've been teaching. Uh, but ultimately... It's not his relationship with her necessarily, but his relationship with the entire cult of personality built up around him that is the reason Judas does what he does. Yeah, as someone who is totally about harm reduction, like, I can empathize with Judas, Judas so hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you don't want your entire nation to be wiped out. That makes sense, like, to sacrifice one person in that regard. Yeah. Kind of makes me sound like right. a fascist, but <laughs> <laughs> but like I understand that motivation in a yeah. way that the gospels don't make me understand. Yeah, yeah, and that's very interesting too. Now you said you would you say you watch this as often as you do throughout your life? Did you watch it as often when you consider yourself an atheist? Yes, I've probably I tend to watch it every good. Friday weekend, it's Easter okay. weekend, yeah. um, probably for at least the last 10 years. Okay. Um, and I've only considered myself a Christian for probably three of those 10 years yeah. at this point. Um, so it's something I still adored yeah. as an atheist. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, when we were talking about what movie you might want to do, uh, you suggested that uh, Bill Maher's Religious uh, was also something that that uh, pushed you along your way into into atheism. Completely. Uh, I hate to give him credit for anything, but <laughs> he did do that. All right. Um, was it something that you just saw at the right time, or was there something within his argument that really affected you at the time? Um, the end of the film talks about um, whether you... Yeah, you don't believe in this extremism here, but as long as you believe in this, you give it legitimacy, Mm -hmm. you prop it up, you are causing more harm by propping this up than you are by denying it. So part of it's the harm reduction that you already talked about. Ultimately, I felt the God I would believe in thought it would be more loving to deny him than it would be to others, other others, yeah. by believing in him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's something that comes up uh, very early in Moby Dick, actually, um, where Ishmael is, uh, when he first meets Queequeg, Queequeg uh, is, invites him to pray to, to one of his idols, and, and the narrator decides that, uh, yeah, God probably just wants me to do this, right? Because it's going to make him more comfortable, and it's God doesn't want me to cause a scene here, right? Right. Um, which I always thought was a very, very interesting way of looking at that too. Um, now, if we want to want to get into a, a biblical argument, uh, you know, Paul's Paul talks about uh, whether or not it's okay to to eat food sacrificed to idols, um, and I. I want to say First Corinthians, um, and uh, and his basic argument is, yeah, but maybe don't do it in front of people that are gonna get hung up on it, um, which is interesting. I talked about that uh, with a friend of mine recently who uh, who posted a Kevin D. Young, uh, who's a, a very conservative uh, Christian writer, um, Kevin D. Young, wondering if it was okay for Christians to watch Game of Thrones. Um, Sorry. <laughs> those are the sorts of arguments that that, that field gets into. Um, uh, but I also thought it very interesting that DeYoung uh, was very concerned about the sex in Game of Thrones, but not at all concerned about the violence in Game of Thrones. It's very North American, yeah. Yeah. So what brought you back to Christianity? Um, in that regard, I started dating someone who told me, uh, seriously that it was important to her, Mm -hmm. uh, to be with someone who shared her faith. Uh, I had already been going to church with her as an atheist for, I don't know, eight months, maybe nine. Um, and super crazy liberal church, pastor's gay. Um, yeah. (laughs) Like when I went there, I was like, "Oh yeah, this this makes sense to me." But at the same time, I wouldn't actually say any spoken prayers. I would sing because I like to sing. Yeah. Uh, but it was very something very um, I could get behind, but was still very separate from in a way. Yeah. Um. So she gave me basically an ultimatum. 
and said, I need you to have some type of faith that of my faith, I guess. Um, and I said, well, it was a good run. (laughs) (laughs) And then less than 24 hours, less than a couple hours later, even probably I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, and I think because I ultimately believe in the message of Christ, like when we were together before that, yeah. I said, we have the exact same beliefs. You just come at it with a religious perspective and I come at it with a humanist perspective. Yeah. Um, so, and then I started listening to some podcasts that she suggested, um, the Liturgist, Science Mike, those groups. Um, and it became more comfortable with the idea of gray mm-hmm. um that not everything is black and white and that's fine and wherever you are comfortable and whatever makes you a better person is yeah. good um and i love community so church was real easy for me yeah uh, yeah and coming from a position of religion is inherently evil yeah um because it is othering and it causes conflict um and then entering into that position and realizing how much it made me more open to people who are religious than i was before and not willing to write them off as stupid or just ridiculous um and not just christians but anyone of any religious persuasion Shout out to Corinne. <laughs> there you go. Well, she does listen, so. Um, well, if if a Bill Maher movie triggered you into atheism, can I trust that you were you were of the new atheist ilk, the the Christopher Hitchens and. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. The the so evangelical e- atheism, uh, right? Is, which is one term that gets applied to it. Yeah. I mean, because you look at like the first song, Heaven Heaven on Their Minds. Yeah. And to me, that is the epitome of the indictment of modern Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, this is great. What we had was great. But then you ruined it by making this heaven focused, making this salvation, hell avoidance. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a reward that shouldn't be inherent to doing good, in my right. opinion. Right. The, uh, I wish I could remember who said it. I believe it's a female Sufi poet, but I cannot for the life of me. I was going remember. to attribute to the good place where you uh, don't get points when you know you're doing good for a reward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the poet, I really, I cannot for the life of me remember who it was. And I feel so bad about that. But essentially it was, it was uh, you know, if, you're, if you're in this for the reward or to avoid the damnation you're in it for the wrong reason right right? you need to be in it to do good you need to be in it to make the world a better place not because you fear something or because you anticipate some promise um it was interesting i was part of a focus group a few years ago um a research group in a way for an author writing a book uh she had previously written a book about nuns uh N-O-N-E-S. The, uh, uh, within religious circles, there's a, a 
a, a sort of trepidation in a lot of ways of the increasing number of people within the West identifying as non-religious. White people. Right, people. <laughs> Principally, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, <laughs> fair. Um, uh, but uh, the, uh, the group was then... Uh, this particular book was a was a follow-up and, and wanted to be about people who young people who were still attending church um, however they identified but who were still a part of a religious congregation you know, church synagogue or or whatever um, and it was it was interesting talking with the people there because at one point she asked who believed in heaven and there was a clear line between the people who had kids and didn't have kids. Fascinating. Over who believed in heaven, <laughs> um, which was fascinating too. There is, there is something about uh, a family relationship and the promise of, of seeing a dead relative again, I think, that, that really, really got to, to the core of that belief in heaven for that group. I don't want to extrapolate that to, to anyone else, but... Uh, but it was also interesting, uh, one person in that group uh, described themselves as uh, religious but not spiritual. Interesting. Meaning that they enjoyed the community, but they didn't, uh, they didn't necessarily believe all the, uh, all the God stuff. Right. <laughs> And I think in, in in a very similar way to what you described, not not to suggest that you should describe yourself as religious but not spiritual, but 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 I would his, have at a time perhaps. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, it's also interesting to me that that you know you were you were Catholic and then you swung to New Atheist. You you hit some extremes there, uh, but I I personally had sort of a, a lesser swing on that. You know, I grew up. I grew up in a very fundamentalist Protestant background, and uh, and for a good chunk of my twenties, probably, if I were completely honest, would have called myself agnostic, um, if not certainly not atheistic. I don't think at any time I was there but, for a solid year yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and then uh, <laughs> I think I think though, even in my time, it was a refusal to affiliate with new atheism that kept me from identifying as atheist. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when I just thought they were jerks. That was long before they all became uh, they anti. They are. They are, <laughs> they are jerks, but now they're, they're jerks who are also uh, pro-West culture and, and anti-Islam jerks in a lot of their circles. Um yeah, you know, I had I have friends within the movement, uh, atheist circles who who have become disillusioned um, because of the sexism that continues. To be. And it's, the problem is, in many ways, um, from my gathering, and I'm again I was never part of the movement, so I can't I can't really even calling it a movement feels weird too. Um, but uh, but the problems seem to me that uh, it held on to a lot of the. Uh, the patriarchy and, mm -hmm. and the social hierarchies that that are the problems with any religion <laughs> were still are still existent in in that new atheism community and uh, and it turned a lot of people off eventually too but there was a there's a good good decade or so 
I actually, um, one, one dear friend of mine and I, uh, made a series of YouTube videos, uh, probably about 15 years ago now. No, not quite. I graduated college, so, so 12 years ago, um, that were specifically meant to satirize the new atheists of YouTube, um, where I am clearly reading a script with poor lighting and poor breathing, uh, talking about how Jesus and Buddha are literally the same person. Uh, and he counters that Jesus and Jim Caviezel, the actor who portrayed Jesus in uh, The Passion of the Christ, are literally the same person. And ultimately, we hit a compromise uh, when I pulled out a Venn diagram proving that all three of them are the same person. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, that's a YouTube series called I Should Be Pope, uh, all one word, that I believe is still uh, still on YouTube. And never dies unless it's... Yeah, that I should probably take down at some point. But no, it was a very silly thing to do at the time. But uh, But it was... I was in a weird position at the time because I wasn't... I was disillusioned with, with the Christianity I'd come out of, um, but I, I was never in a position where I was willing to reject everything. Um, it's interesting that you brought up the Dead Kennedys and, uh, and punk, as in a lot of ways, I said this to someone the other day, uh, that uh, you know, certain members of my family encouraged me to get really into the Bible and then... Uh, seem to think that I've done bad by actually starting to believe some of that stuff that I read. <laughs> and certain other members of my family got me really into punk <laughs> and seem to think that I'm bad, that I've now started to take some of those ideas seriously, too. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I guess I just, I don't have that ability to dis disconnect from, from the entertainment and from what I'm consuming. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I come, I come from a religious background where you know, generations prior to me thought that uh, the, Sermon on the, Mount, the Sermon on the Mount was the only thing you needed. The Beatitudes were the entirety of the gospel and the entirety of the important bits of the Bible as far as their belief system were concerned. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time it got down to me, it had this uh, major focus on a literal genesis and a literal revelation as interpreted by some guys in the 19th century who established what's called dispensationalism. And that's where you get the, the rapture and, and all that. It's really, those are ideas that are only 150 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun to learn. Right. So for a while I became very interested in interrogating what I was taught as real ultimate truth. Um, and just investigating the history of those actual ideas and discovering how many of them were, very new. Very new. <laughs> um, it's interesting for me in that, like, I was transubstantiation. I, yeah. I, my epiphany moment was during Eucharistic adoration, and yeah. Catholics believe transubstantiation, the bread and wine physically become the body and blood of Christ. Yes. Um, so that was, like, the core of my Catholicism was yeah. the body and blood. Uh, but my parents didn't really believe that. Right. Uh, they also, like, I mean, they were cafeteria Catholics in a different way yeah. uh, than I was. So it was very much a matter of, I believe this core truth. What core truths does the church teach me 
that I don't agree with because there are very many that I didn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't believe in cap- our capital punishment, just like the church, but I was very pro-choice, unlike the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, so there's this big line of dogma versus reality. What is God's message versus what is a law? Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, on transubstantiation, actually, I really love the last supper scene in this film as well. Uh, Because it's where it first presents as a very frustrated Jesus saying, for all you This wine could be my blood. For all you care, this bread could be my body. Narratively, I love alternative framings. (laughs) But that that really, you know. How alternative is that, though? I mean, right. Right. The apostles are portrayed as pretty bumbling, like you don't understand <laughs> right. anything, I right. feel, in the Gospels. Like, I mean, I'm going to explain this a metaphor because you're stupid. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's fair. <laughs> to the point where where there's a reason that in this movie and in Last Temptation, Judas is the only competent disciple. <laughs> and uh, the whole part about, like, always thought I'd be an apostle, knew I could make it if I tried, and then I could yeah. write the Gospels. right. And then, so they can write about me when I die. Like right. the whole fallibility of right. this right. is a script written by a man's perspective that it's not divine inspired. Yeah. It is just, I was here possibly, or this person three generations before <laughs> me was there. And they said this to this person. And they said that yeah. to that person. How unreliable everyone's narration is of the entirety of right. the Bible. In right. my um. We're recording this uh, on uh, on Orthodox Easter, and and you said that you often watch this movie on Good Friday, uh, and I'm particularly reminded of how dumb the apostles are on uh, on Easter, um, because I just for the first few hours of Easter, if you particularly if you believe that belief in the resurrection is intrinsic to what it means to be a Christian, um, and you don't have to believe that, but many people do. Right. And if you accept that, then Mary Magdalene was the church right. for about six hours. Exactly. <laughs> and when she started preaching, nobody believed her. And they all said, oh, you're wrong. You're just gossiping. And then later that day, Jesus shows up to two guys wandering down the street, and they don't even recognize him. And he talks to them for hours before they recognize him. And when they finally recognize him, they said... Peter was right. <laughs> and they give Peter the credit right? for what Peter didn't believe for for hours that morning, but did apparently finally come to accept. Um, but yeah, Peter's, uh, you know, Peter's denial and, and things like that, the apostles weren't... Uh, weren't fully on board. They're, they're not portrayed as... as uh, as in, the best people in on it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, on it, in on it works, and you know that's that's frequent too. You know, yeah, the the that song you quoted, the the you know, I'll get to write the gospels. Um, you know, there's there's stories in the Bible about the the apostles arguing who get, who'll get to sit at Jesus's right hand in heaven, and Jesus saying, 
you guys really don't understand what this is about at all. Um, and that's, you know, that's uh, one thing. There's, I still follow the circles I came out of. One, I have to because I'm still related to people within those circles. Right. But, uh, but, but heavy fundamental Christianity. Recently, there was a, uh, I think last fall, there is uh, a statement on social justice and the gospel that came out from some some uh, fundamentalist thinkers, right? Um, and it it strove very hard across, I believe, sixteen points to separate what they considered the gospel from what they considered anything good about the gospel. <laughs> so it was a lot of. Uh, yeah, you know, differentiating. Um, basically, what it what it what it starts with is a definition of the gospel that is the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and that's it. And I do have to believe that when Jesus told all of his followers, "Hey, go and preach the gospel," he wasn't encouraging them to go tell everyone his mom was a virgin. I, I, just I don't. Agree. I don't think that's true. I think he probably wanted them to go tell them, go tell everybody all that stuff he'd actually been teaching them <laughs> for three years. <laughs> for three years, yes. <laughs> about uh, about you know not hating each other and you know maybe not trusting rich people. <laughs> but hey, that's my reading, right? Parts that explicitly say don't trust rich people, but <laughs> those those golden eagles going into the Roman, uh, yeah. you know, to meet Pilate, and there's these golden eagles, these powerful empire symbols. Yeah, it's yeah. good. good. Yeah, this, a very interesting choice this film made was to shoot it in a desert. <laughs> Even the stuff that should be in a city, uh, or or in a court somewhere, is just. The closest we get is an amphitheater at right. one point, um, and a whole lot of ruins. Um, and I think, you know, on the one hand, there's that framing mechanism of the entire film where everyone's arriving on a bus and, and putting on a show. Um, but, uh, it's such a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> I get why you're doing it in 73, but yeah, just own it. Just you're it. telling a story, and it's your interpretation. You don't have to be like, "But this is just a story." Yeah, <laughs> I gotta. We know it's just a story. It's a movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but yeah, um, you know what that facilitates is uh, the ending where uh, right. where the three exactly. where Pilate and Mary and. Uh, and Judas all, all look longingly at the cross before getting getting on the bus. Um, and as a justification for that scene, I guess maybe it works, but but I think you're right. It's kind of a cop-out to, to say, oh, we don't really. This is all just fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're all just actors. Yeah. Don't worry about anything we're saying here. Yeah. But I agree that the whole Jesus not getting back on the bus yeah. uh, does give it a little more gravitas than we yeah. would have had otherwise. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I said during while we were watching it that uh, that uh, the Herod in this movie is very uh, over the top, obviously, yes. uh, but it feels almost like uh, his character 
not the not the actor or the writers of the film, but his character wrote the song that he performs. <laughs> that even if this weren't a weren't a musical, Herod still would have shown up with that choreography and that song <laughs> to mock Jesus, um, just by the way he's characterized. Uh, and I love that too. There's so much I love about this movie. I feel like he's the embodiment of new atheism. Like, yeah. just walk across my swimming pool. Right. Yeah. Right. Just do that, and I'll believe. Yeah. yeah prove yeah. it. Yeah. Turn uh, turn this water here into wine. Just yeah. do it. Um, <laughs> just tell me a joke. Right. You said you were a comedian. Just do it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's an embodiment of of so much of. Uh, so much of privilege and uh, and oh, yeah. expectation the fact that of it's super wealthy people, yeah. like yeah, the whole like religion is convenient to me. Oh, I t- I want to believe this until it doesn't work for me. Right, right, yeah, and that's yeah. It's just it's it's a, it's a fascinating movie. I really I really love this movie. I really love that you love this movie and and have loved it in so many different ways over the years. Is very interesting too. One thing this film brings up to me is the idea of God having a plan versus people being people. Yeah. Um, I'm as someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife, mm-hmm. so the resurrection and substitutionary atonement theory don't make a whole lot of sense right. in my faith. Right. Um, what is the purpose of this entire story? Um, if God had a plan to sacrifice his son, what does that tell us about the nature of God? Um, This film, I feel, very much does fall into the God had a plan type of uh, archetype. Certainly certainly Judas presents that. uh, As far as... You know, the gospel versus Judas, this story makes way more sense to me than the gospel <laughs> the, does. Uh, the idea that, that Judas was in on things is ancient within Christian teaching, right. but, but extra-biblical Christian teaching. <laughs> so, but yeah. and, and the whole idea of the early church just wondering if God was fully divine or if only the human part of God divide, or died on the cross, uh, those ideas are something that fundamentally... I struggle with, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say even struggle with, but like those aren't things that matter to me. Right. Right. Uh, that is not the core of my belief. There is no reward at the end of my okay. life. There is only making earth yeah. as it is in heaven, whatever heaven may or may not be. Recent, um, recently on uh, on Lost in Criterion, my other podcast, we watched a film that uh, that spun around a conversation about Pascal's wager. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician, uh, and his wager is essentially game theory of belief in Christianity. And he argues that uh, that it makes better sense to believe Christianity because you, uh, you stand to gain infinitely right. and to lose infinitely. Um, that has never made sense to me. <laughs> like, like there, are, there are very few worldviews where I think Pascal's wager actually makes sense. And I'm not convinced that Pascal's worldview, it makes sense. He was, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the name of the movement, but it was, it was basically a, a post-Reformation uh, Catholic movement that, that is essentially Catholic Calvinism. It, the, the Pope at the time called it heresy. 
but it, it, pre- it believes in predestination. It believes in a select elect Christian of, of people who will be saved. It believes in a lot of Calvinist teachings, but it was still Catholic, and Pascal was one of them. And how can you make Pascal's wager if you believe in predestination and that only a certain number of people who are already predetermined from the beginning of time are... It's very, it's very weird. But, uh, but yeah, it's something, it's something that we talked about on the other podcast. Just never... I don't understand a Christian world where that makes sense. Um, but apparently it was important enough that 200 years later some French guy decided that it was the most important <laughs> like everyone in this movie has a copy of uh, Pascal's work on their bookshelf <laughs> like, it's very weird I don't know what was going on in the 1960s in France but I don't think it was that so it's interesting in that regard then you know like I like I already said about the the, the poet uh, if you're believing this for the reward or the or the or the punishment you're believing it for the wrong reasons and and in that regard i'm agnostic about an afterlife i think it'd be great and if one does exist i'm a universalist but i think uh, in so much of what i get out of the gospels and the new testament more broadly is uh you know jesus teaches people to pray on earth as it is in heaven and the last image of Revelation is heaven coming to earth. And it seems to me that the gospel that needs to be preached is a gospel that makes what we live today more like what we think heaven's going to be like. Right. Right. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I try to strive for. <laughs> As someone who don't, I do not believe God is all-powerful. Yeah. Uh, I do believe God is all good within the parameters of the strength of God. Yeah. I like to think that God used every ounce of his power to create Christ um, in a time that would make the most sense in terms of longevity and message, um, which is really great commentary with the Jesus Christ Superstar song and that we didn't have mass communication <laughs> right. back then, so why the hell did you come then? Right, right. I'm like, oh, because we were primed to believe in this kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> uh, as as someone who doesn't believe in a reward, as someone who doesn't believe God actively intervenes in mm-hmm. the day-to-day affairs of man, at the very best, I believe God might inspire an individual to do something great. Yeah. Uh, and if God was Christ, that makes sense to me mm-hmm. in terms of having that that individual power. Um, but I don't think God creates miracles in the world. I don't yeah. think God preordains things. I don't think God rewards others and punishes others. If there is a heaven, which I don't believe there is, everyone has a seat at that at that table right right no matter what they've done <laughs> that's what i mean when i say universalism right? right um yeah yeah i uh <laughs> he's all loving she right. is all loving right actually in that regard i'm reminded of this. i believe uh elizabeth brunick may have said it but uh but someone 
someone I was reading, it might have been Will Gaffney, actually, uh, uh, someone had asked what, what the proper pronouns to use with God were, uh, and, uh, and the response was, God is the pronoun for God. Right. So, <laughs> uh, which I find, you know, again, another thing Tom talked about in, uh, in the Last Temptation episode is uh, you know, frequently in the Bible, uh, both male and female imagery are, are applied to God. It's, uh, it doesn't really make sense to reject the one. Um, another thing I, I learned recently that I thought was very interesting, this is peripherally related to this, um, but it was, um, I was in a space um, recently where a, uh, a reformed rabbi, um, Rabbi Jessica is all I know her name as. Uh, I don't know her last name, um, but she's Columbus local. And she had said, uh, you know, moving into Passover, uh, she's talking about uh, Genesis and the end of Genesis, where what King James translates, uh, male and female, he created them. Um, the actual Hebrew is masculine, feminine, he created it. Uh, it being humanity, humans is the them in the, the English translation. Mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was very fascinating too. Um, yeah. There's a lot to to say that your holy texts need to be understood by the layman and you know, not a knowing Hebrew. And knowing right. Greek shouldn't be a requirement of getting the right message here. We just we need better translations if that's true. Uh, but uh, but looking back at the at the original language, that was a very interesting translation that I'd never never experienced before. Right? It's not something anyone had ever told me before. That is one benefit to Catholicism. I feel is that there is op an openness to interpretation. Yeah. Uh, Darwinism doesn't not make sense within the frame yeah. of Catholicism. The rapture does not make sense within the frame <laughs> of Catholicism. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, there is an understanding that this was written in a place and a time, and it was yeah. metaphorical here and there. Uh, this doesn't have to be taken literally. Right. You don't right. have to die on this. Yeah, uh, well, it's also interesting that the, the people who want to take certain aspects of of the Bible as literal history also will tell me that uh, that the blessed are the poor uh, doesn't actually mean poor people. It means right. the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Right. right. I've actually had someone tell me that the Bible doesn't say blessed are the poor, which is wrong, um, right. <laughs> because uh, in in the Sermon on the Mount it says blessed are the poor in spirit. The Sermon on the Plain, which is Luke's version of that right. same teaching, it actually says blessed are the poor. And then there's a corollary a couple of lines later that say cursed are the rich. Yes. Uh, I love that part. Yeah, it's a great part. <laughs> it's a great part. Um, uh, the one thing I love about the film that I hated about the live show uh, is the resurrection of God or of Jesus at the end of the film uh, yeah. or not in the film but in the live show so in the live show he is literally lifted up above the stage and out of the scene yeah. uh, by rising above the curtains uh, in this you don't see him get off the cross you right. just see everyone leave and then you see a shepherd leading sheep through the sunset yeah. uh, which is left ambiguous which is what I feel faith should be, it should be ideas, it should be a good idea, and 
you don't have to die on that cross. You yeah. just have to live on that cross yeah. with other people. Yeah, I like that. Very much like that. Um, obviously, that's something a movie can do, but a stage play can't do, right? But um, I really... You, you already briefly mentioned uh, Superstar, the song. Um, I really love how the, how the film handles that. One, because it's, it, it's a song that uh, takes place outside of time. Right. Outside of the time of the narrative. It's, it's talking about these events as past events, uh, as distantly past events even. As, as you said, you know, it talks about there was no mass communication in Israel in 4 BC. Um, but it also makes reference to Muhammad and, and to Buddha. Um, and on top of all of that, it is Judas coming down from heaven in the right. film. As an angel on a as crane. As an angel on a crane, <laughs> surrounded by a chorus of angels who perform this song. Uh, and, uh, and I just, I love that. I love that, that if heaven exists in the realm of this movie, Judas is there. Right. Uh, that is one of my favorite parts yeah. is that. You know, if, if all of your core beliefs, like Judas is there. Yeah. Judas is there and he's with the angels and he's singing with them and he is like the whole film's well done, Judas. Yeah. Poor old Judas. When he does all the terrible things he does. Yeah. Like that are quote unquote terrible. Like yeah. he's filling his role in this narrative. Right. There would be no New Testament without him. Right. Or a Judas figure. But he still calls him a liar, you Judas. <laughs> yeah. And still substitute Judas for liar. And yeah. it's they do a lot of really creative good things. Yeah. Well, uh Dante had a had a deep impact with his yeah. with his Bible fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, the lowest pit of hell for yeah. betrayers. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dante. So hot it's cold. So hot it's cold. And you're three big betrayers. The guy who betrayed Jesus and the two guys who betrayed, betrayed Julius Caesar. You crazy Italian. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down with me. This was a really good conversation. I'm very, I'm very happy to have had it. I'm very happy to have watched the movie with you. Did you watch it already this year? You, you said you normally um, watch it. I, good for it was on in the background during okay. my Easter dinner this I year. I see, I see. But I didn't. Sit down, and, sit watch down it. and watch it. Well, we did today. So. Yes, I was happy to get it in before, you know, too far out of Easter season. Actually, I have my, my own Easter season tradition that I didn't I didn't do this year has been to watch the, the last three episodes of the British sitcom Rev, uh, which deals with a, uh, an Anglican priest at a small uh, urban church in London. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a comedy. Uh, but the last three episodes uh, take place during Holy Week, and it's his life falling apart and the church closing, and and he uh, he has a nervous break- breakdown, and a church across town wants to borrow their big cross for for their Easter parade, so he drags it through the streets in the middle of the night, and then in the morning he meets a homeless man played by Liam Neeson, who may be God. And it's, I really, I just love it. But it's, it's watching those three episodes has been sort of my Easter tradition for, for the last four or five years. And uh, I unfortunately didn't, didn't do this year. I got too busy, but, uh, but it was good to share in yours. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you for sharing it with me. 
and thank you for uh, for being on the episode. No problem. My plug for the film would be there's something for atheists or something for fundamentalists yeah. or something for people in between. Because you've watched it at each yeah. of those points. <laughs> you you will get something out of this film. It's, it's yeah. a good story. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that, and uh, thank you for listening to Cinema Credo. I am the Adam Glass. I'm Joey Schulte. So glad to have you, Joey. It's my pleasure. Conversations on Film and Faith. I'm your host and writer, Adam Glass. Film clips this week are used under fair use. Thank you to Steve Richter for the use of our theme song, Madrasita, off of his album, Beloved. Check out his work at steverichter.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. com. <laughs>